It's time for Other Strangeness, hosted by me, Psycho Andy. Get in touch with the show by messaging me at otherstrangeness at gmail.com or at Strangeness Talk on Twitter. Okay, guys, welcome to episode three of Other Strangeness. Uh, just a quick heads up. This week, my guest is comic creator Jeff Pena, and he and I have been friends for a long time. We actually worked together for a few years, um, and our conversation ended up going almost two hours. So what I did is I split it up into two episodes. Uh, This week, we're going to be talking about comics and the comics that Jeff makes. And next week, we're going to go into collecting action figures and toys, primarily Transformers. Uh, Because there was such a natural break in the conversation, and I didn't want to overburden you guys with a a almost two-hour episode, I thought, you know, I'll chop it up into into halves, and uh, we'll see how this goes. We'll see if you guys like it. you know, let me know. As I say in the intro, you can email me otherstrangeness at gmail.com or hit me up at talk on Twitter. And uh, we'll see if this format works or if you guys don't care about a super long conversation or uh, I don't know, just let me know. I also want to give you a bit of a heads up. Uh, Jeff and I had a little bit of a connection issue. So some of the audio in this episode isn't super great. But, uh, you know, we're recording the show over the internet because uh, there's still a pandemic going on. So did the best we could, uh, but there is that saying that computers are only as perfect as the people who program them, and nobody's perfect, and this week certainly proves that to be true. I also feel like we should mention that we recorded this episode uh, this week and next week before the events that happened on January 6th at the United States Capitol building, so uh, it's not that we're not talking about that because we're ignoring it, it's just it hadn't happened, so we didn't have an opinion on a thing that hadn't happened yet. Uh, Anyways, let's get to the episode and uh, talk with Jeff Pena. All right, guys, we're going to get strange with Jeff Pena, who is the creator of, oh, man, Jeff, you've made a lot of comics. Uh, yeah. Dr. Oblivion's <laughs> Guide to Teenage Dating, uh, Super Pawn, Imaginatives, is that you? Yeah, yeah um, Imaginatives, Bosco and Fleet. Bosco and Fleet, yeah. Uh, I freaking love you, Loss of Signal, like, uh, just m- more than I can, ha- more than I should have created. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. How's it going today, man? Uh, good, good. This is uh, uh, my first work day in about a month because of the holidays and adoption. We ad- just adopted our, our baby boy. Oh, and, congratulations! Uh, yeah, thank you, thank you. And um, yeah, it's been it's been about a month since I've had a solid like eight hour work day. Uh, and so then, I'm, I'm really excited. Yeah, and then I came <laughs> in and I was like, "Hey, while you're working, do you want to talk about it?" But it's easy though, because like all it is is just talking. And okay, cool, I can talk to somebody instead of listen to a, a podcast like people are listening to right now. Hopefully, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, so, what are you working on today then? Uh, okay, so obviously hit the shows really hard. And uh, in order for me to supplement the loss of all the shows that got canceled, I've been doing these little live sales where I've been selling uh, little five by five uh, ink and marker sketches where I just do quick little. You know, I like in an eight-hour day, I could probably produce twenty-five to fifty of wow. these little guys. Okay, and uh, you know, flat colors, quick inks, uh, literally like sketches with color. Okay. And today's is for the January live sale, uh, where I'm doing uh, a Doctor Who versus Buffy theme. So I'm doing, I'm shooting for about hundred and fifty, like seventy-five and seventy-five of Buffy and Doctor Who of various characters, villains, moments, stuff like that. Okay. When are you planning on doing that sale? Um, I think, let me see. We hadn't actually decided on a date, but I think we were shooting for, I think we were shooting for the 22nd or the 29th on my Facebook page. Okay. Uh, Cool. Then this will definitely be out. 
yeah i, I wanted yeah, to make sure this I, episode was going to be out before that so that people could uh prepare <laughs> yeah yeah we I, and i try to like make it so it's like 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 it falls on people's paychecks but not like their mortgage paycheck so um yeah okay. it's probably gonna it's probably gonna be closer to the 22nd is gonna be my guess because uh i also need to talk it over with trish my wife because mm-hmm. she is the other half of the sales team on that one because while i'm rattling around and showing people stuff she's on the computer uh being the peanut gallery and also taking everybody's orders down <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah yeah yeah, definitely a lot easier to see that sort of stuff when you have someone helping out. <laughs> it's almost impossible to not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, yeah, uh, man. <laughs> it's uh, we're, This is the third episode, and so far, COVID has affected everyone's lives uh, that I've talked oh, yeah. to so far. Um, I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to dwell on that at all. But I think that it's important to note, like, for for at least the posterity of history, people listening to this in a couple of years, like, hey, this this was a big deal you know yeah um, yeah and it kicked the feet out from a lot of people that i know like there's a lot of people not a lot of people but I've, i have seen a, a, a decent number of people who were like well that's it that tapped me out i'm out of shows and i'm never doing this again because i can't yeah uh, and then i've seen other people who were able to pivot and just do online sales and either do as good or better than they have done in the past um or have people just kind of go I'm just starting out and I didn't start the shows. So what do I do now? Kind of a thing. So oh, yeah. yeah, it's, it's a, it was like dropping a brick into a still lake and everyone's just trying <laughs> to ride out the ripples. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty good analogy. Yeah, man. It's, it's been a weird year as well. Uh, so yeah, it's going to be, uh, it'll be fascinating to see how, I mean, we're, we're at the, this is, we're recording this right at the beginning of January. So um, in 2021, so vaccines are starting to roll out for medical professionals and some other people. And we'll see how long it takes everyone else to get vaccinated and, and everything. Um, and we'll see if by summer convention season, it's safe to to do them again. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make a call in the field. Cause I, I think, yeah, I just looking at everything and everyone's mentalities and all that. Kind of, I think if we're lucky and I mean, very, very lucky, Mm-hmm. SDCC might be the first show we see this year. Yeah, I, I like at best. I kind of agree. Um, normally, Phoenix was what's it called now? Phoenix Fan Fusion. Yeah, because uh, they've changed the name several times in the last several years. Yeah, that's usually Memorial Day weekend at the end of May. Yeah, end of May. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of the beginning of con season for for a lot of people, and also it's before the weather gets unbearable in Phoenix. So if people want to visit, they still can. Uh, but I think you're right. Yeah, San Diego in the middle of July is probably realistically going to be more likely when things are opening back up, which is going to be crazy because yeah. that show is huge as it is. Yeah, um, yeah, that's it. And that's the other thing too is it's like okay, <laughs> there's got to be some definite changes yeah. to how all that. Yeah, it's 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 going to be nuts. It's yeah, at be least crazy. One at way least the for other. the next this year and next year, I think we need to be a little more safe about things and and see how everything plays out. Um, you know, it's it would be great to think, hey, there's a vaccine, and now we're safe, and everything's fine. But uh, hopefully, well, that's the other true. Thing is too, you got a lot of people who go to shows, and this is the reason why I try to price my artwork uh, as efficiently and and uh, affordably as I can. You have people who either have a multitude of people coming with them and part of their family, mm-hmm. or like they save all year to go to that one show because of their income levels. And you have a lot of those people who lost their jobs. So yeah. it's going to probably take about two to three years for those folks to be able to afford to come back to a show, which for me kind of sucks because 
I like, that's like my socialization. So like, yeah. there's a ton of people who I only see at shows and there's a ton of people who I only see at shows in certain regions and I don't get to see them for, I don't know how long. Uh, the Denver Comic Con just canceled for next year and laid off some of their staffers. Oh, and I, I, it, it sounds like 2021 is done and maybe even 2022 or possibly even the show. And I'm hoping that's not the case because one, I loved that show. Mm -hmm. That show was awesome. I, I get very pumped from going to that show. Everyone in Denver were awesome. They were super sweethearts. They were very welcoming. And there's probably about 30 or 40 people that I see only at Denver who live in Denver who don't want to leave Denver. I can't blame them. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get to see them last year. I don't get to see them this year. I mean, I get to see them again until yeah. unless they travel down to Phoenix or over to San Diego or something because Colorado is a long drive for me. It's a 17-hour one-way drive. Yeah. So it's as much as I would like to just go out for 40 people, like the number, I can't make the numbers work. Right. And that kind of sucks. Cause I, I like seeing the people that I see at shows, not even yeah. just from like, not even just like, Hey, cool. You bought my book. Awesome. I can eat. But like, you know, like <laughs> talking to people like, okay, yeah, you bought something for me three years ago and you haven't bought anything from a while. Still drop by the booth, say hi. Most people are cool enough to be able to see if somebody's buying something from me, they'll step aside for a second the person will buy it and walk off and then we can keep ch chatting about Star Trek or Transformers or whatever. Mm -hmm. And and I like that, but you know, it's now been, it's going to be almost two years since I've done a show like San Diego 2019 was my last show that I did. Yeah. And it's weird. Yeah. Like, it's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I've got, I've got other friends that uh, I'm hoping to talk to soon on this who like, yeah, basically convention sales were their That was their livelihood. That's what they did. And yeah. Um, you know, they've had to go out and get, you know, quote unquote, real jobs <laughs> to, to supplement themselves, yeah. you know, to, to make up for that. And the nine to five thing. Yeah. 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 And uh, so, you know, in addition to, you know, whatever I, people have their, their thoughts about the virus itself, but the effect that it's had where we're all trying to keep each other safe, you know, as safe as possible. Like, yeah, it's had a huge effect on people's livelihood on their income. Uh, and, and yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a mess, but let's cool. We got yeah. the negative stuff out, out, out of the way. Up front. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so was it November you uh, celebrated the 15th anniversary of Dr. Oblivion's guide to teenage dating? Yeah, well, I don't know if I want to say I celebrated it because I'll be honest with you, I completely forgot about it until New Year's Eve. Okay, um, so <laughs> uh, we'll say November was the 15th anniversary. <laughs> was the 15th anniversary. Yeah, well, because, and, it, and it's funny because it goes back to what we were just talking about. I've been in survival mode all of 2020, so yeah. I haven't actually really drawn more than maybe six pages since March sure. uh, because I've been yeah. doing commissions since live sale. So while at the beginning of the year, I was like, I'm doing a 16 page origin story of Dr. Oblivion's first days after, uh, as soon as he starts becoming a villain and what makes him a villain and all that kind of stuff. And I drew, I, I mean, right now I've written a lot more than I've drawn just because I've been able to do that. Um, so I have an anniversary special that was originally going to be dropped as an online PDF for free for everybody in November. Mm. But that got sidelined. Uh, I have 10 pages of that penciled and four of them inked, I think right now. Okay. So, I mean, it's, it's in production. And then this morning I was like, oh man, uh, if Dr. Oblivion is 15, that means imaginatives is 25 oh, uh, wow. bec because I used to draw imaginatives back in high school when it was called idiot pen. And I would, I would print up copies for uh, friends at Palm desert high school in California in Palm desert. And uh, I, I mean, I've been drawing them since 1995. 
it, and I, I reimagined it and relaunched it and, and cleaned up a bunch of continuity in 2007 when I relaunched it as imaginatives. But uh, yeah, those characters are 25 mm-hmm. years old. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't realize that till this morning. So now I'm like, oh, I got to come up with an uh, anniversary story, which walking up the stairs up to my wife's work office, uh, I came up with something. So I'm going to try to do like a, a flip book in 2021 okay. and do like an anniversary special and, you know, do the 15th slash 25th or, or 16th slash 26th anniversary special kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man, that would be cool. Flip, flip books are an underrated uh, format for comics. We don't see a lot of those anymore. No, and I love that stuff. Uh, Jason Gonzalez, uh, Gonzo, he did something really cool with his. Uh, he did, he does this luchador, uh, Los Manos del Destino. Yeah, and I've, got, I've got the first few issues of that. It's pretty great. Yeah, he did a, a Kickstarter graphic novel where it was all six issues, mm-hmm. but one side was all in English, and you flip it, and one side is all in Spanish. Oh, rad. And... I just thought that was super cool. Yeah, I thought that was awesome. The graphic novel is just, it's a 400-page graphic novel. One's in English, one's in Spanish. Beautiful book. And I was just like, that's brilliant. I love that. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool. Uh, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I've got, um, I mean, I, I haven't done anything. I, I should, I should. I, I should make something. I mean, I didn't make a lot in 2020, but uh, I was fortunate enough to stay employed. So, uh, yeah, well, I, I think it's survival, <laughs> yeah. uh, eating, you gotta you gotta be able to eat before you can create. So yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean you've got you've got plenty of stuff where you could re-release stuff as a flip yeah. book easily. I think yeah, um, some of the old Hawk and Croc stuff doesn't look great, and uh, I've redrawn about a dozen of them because like man, it was old when I started back in in two thousand three. Like I was drawing with a mouse, and uh, mm. also it was seventeen years ago. So right, right, or eighteen years ago now. So like, you know, one, I've become a better illustrator and two, I have, you know, a drawing tablet and I'm not drawing with uh, an old Apple one button mouse. Right. So yeah, some of them like, I, you know, we were doing it to, to make comics, to make stories and uh, doing the best we could at the time. And looking back at it now, it's like, man, it's, I, I feel kind of bad asking people to read that old, th- some of those old ones. So I see. And for me, it's, see, I'm at such a. There, there's been times there was actually a, a company that I was talking to. They wanted, we were talking about maybe doing Dr. Oblivion through them, maybe. Mm-hmm. But one of their stipulations was that they want, at that point, I think I had drawn the first eight or nine issues at that point. Okay. And they wanted me to completely redraw the first six issues. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I can't blame you because I look back at that and that was old art. And you, you're not wrong. It is very old and it is very dated and it looks it. Mm-hmm. But if I redraw six issues, I'm submarining all of my other work for like a year, year and a half. Yeah. Like yeah. I, for, for, for a maybe we'll print it. Right. And it was kind of like, if, you know, if it's, if you're saying redraw it, represent it, we'll get it printed, then I'm going to do it. But like, not, hey, maybe if you redraw it, then maybe we'll take a look and then maybe we'll do it because I like this premise. It's like, but I no, not for a maybe. Yeah. That, no, that's fair. That's fair. And uh, I was just, people that have listened to all two and now this third episode, like I was talking to Val Hoshberg on, on the first episode and, and we were talking about how like comics are hard, man. Comics take yeah. time. It's not even even with as much work as we do digitally, like the computer doesn't make anything for us. It's just a tool so that we don't have to get marker and paint all over the place. Yeah, it's it's a faster tool, but that's it. It's still 
it's, you know right so yeah you know hey redraw these six issues great even if you're the fastest artist in the world like that's still you're looking at three or four months minimum to to pencil it you know pencil and yeah. make it like yeah you know and then you add coloring and lettering and and binding and formatting and all that stuff and it's like okay great like yeah like you said that's at least six months to a year minimum yeah uh, and, and for for not being able to make anything else like hey you know that's not that's not a realistic proposition yeah um, i mean so. because the whole point is to move forward you know what right. i mean like you got to keep making new stuff like if you're just going to go back and redraw old stuff will that better serve story like yeah you better it better be a flashback tale that takes place in those original issues not like just you know yeah hey i'm doing it to do it like no yeah yeah uh and that's why <laughs> that's why the hawk and croc redux hasn't taken like that's why it hasn't really taken off because like hey i've already done this you know like I, yeah, yeah i, w- I want to do it better but like if i'm gonna do that correctly i have to draw 300 strips over again and like yeah even, even if i can pull out a couple a week you're looking at that's still going to be you know two three years of, of work so um yeah yeah i get it <laughs> I, I i'm just a fan of like you know what i'm gonna let it sit where it's at i'm just gonna because like i keep thinking about uh grendel matt wagner's grendel yeah and when he started it uh right before comico picked it up his artwork was rough like mm-hmm. it was like mm-hmm hey, I'm a high school senior and I've learned to draw comic books and I'm still learning perspective and proportions and all. Like, it's rough. It's bad. But it's part of the story. It's the beginning of the story. And he refuses to let that be reprinted. And I kind of look at it like from somebody who wants to read Grendel going, I don't care if it looks rough. That's what it looked like when you drew that and you became this master of comic art. And I need that (laughs) part of the story. I know it's rough. Mm-hmm. But I still need to understand what's going on so that when I get to Grendel, Devil's Child, I know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of how I look at it. It's kind of like, I, yeah, I could just not reprint those first three issues, but that completely kicks the feet out from the premise. And uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's a, it's a t- And the other thing is you don't want to get stuck in the mode of like, well, I could make this look better. And then, you know, five years later, you're like, well, I could make it look better still. Mm-hmm. And then you're just re-releasing the same thing over and over again with minor tweaks i mean <laughs> well and, and honestly i i did that sure. i did that so okay so when when i was in on a early college when i was still living back in california mm-hmm. there was another book that i was doing which was a prequel series to imaginatives about one of the characters brother in high school okay and uh that was supposed to run concurrently with imaginatives because imaginatives in my overall publishing line has about three spin-offs one of them I have kind of decided to just not do because I'm turned 42 this year and I will not make it to be alive to make this third spinoff. So I'm going to merge it. But regardless, the, sure. the preview I did, I, uh, the, the prelude I was going to do as a three issue mini and then like do imaginatives and drop three issue minis as imaginatives went on. But I wasn't happy with it. So I did the first issue again and then I wasn't happy with it and I did it again and I wasn't happy with it and I did it again. So this first issue that went through five revisions, I Mm. penciled and inked for full issues before I realized I'm not happy with the whole premise. So until I am, stop drawing it. You're wasting your time. Like focus on the story, focus on the characters, refine that and work on something else. Yeah. And that's kind of what started Dr. Oblivion was 
that premise came along uh, along the way and started going like, oh, well, this is something that is easy. I'm not as emotionally invested in. It's not a deep concept. It's not a tie-in. It's not a prelude. It's not a spin-off. It's just its own little pocket thing. Mm-hmm. And I can practice on this and do this thing so that I can get ready to do imaginatives and this other book and produce them on, in a way where I'm happy with it. And even with imaginatives, when I did the first three issues, I couldn't come up with a good way to start the story. So I went with the story trope of, I'm starting the series with the assumption you know who these people are. Mm-hmm. Not in a way where I'm going to be like a middle of a relationship fight or anything like that, but do like a very, almost how they do with the Star Trek movies now, with the Kelvin universe, where it's like this little mini 10 minute adventure where, hey, we're just going to throw you in the middle of stuff. We're going to assume you're not dumb and just <laughs> yeah. like throw you into this premise, have these characters, give them each a little tiny spotlight moment and kind of like throw you into the action to hook you in. And then hopefully through this action and this character interaction, I can hook you along for the rest of the premise. And that's kind of what I did with imaginatives after I had done Dr. Oblivion in your standard, like, Hey, here's the character, here's the setup, here's this and that, like doing a more standard storyline story structure. Mm-hmm. I went the opposite direction with imaginatives, which ironically is now a standard practice in storytelling of just like, Hey, we're going to throw you in, assume you're not idiots and that you're an audience that can read and can just go with the flow. And then we'll explain it as we're running along this hallway. Like, I like that kind of storytelling now more so than we open in space. This is this planet and this is this planet and they war. And like that's traditional story structure bores me now, like on a creative level and as a nerd, like I I want you (laughs) to show me things and I will figure it out as I go because that's involving me in the story as opposed to the, you sitting me down for a fairy tale and explaining everything for me. Right. Like, yeah. 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 No, I think I tend to agree with you. I, I like the stories that start uh, it's in media res, they call it where you're just, you're right there in the middle of the action and like, you're going to learn who these people are. Like when, when you meet a new friend, you don't just sit there and be like, okay, so I was born in a small town on a Tuesday, right? right? Like you just, you meet them and you figure out who they are by interacting with them and so why do we feel the need in stories to i mean like if you have a really high concept thing where you're like hey here's this completely different culture that operates very differently like okay maybe some of that you do want to you do want to give a little exposition up front yeah yeah like man marvel and dc doing six issues of building a superhero team like yeah guys i know what the x-men are i know what superheroes are i don't need you to spend seven issues and then get canceled at issue nine telling me how you got the team together (laughs) well and (laughs) it's like it's like the spider-man movies like when they were when they when they brought back tom when they did the tom holland movies Mm -hmm. actually when they did the andrew garfield movies when they were like we're gonna do uncle ben i'm like no we know who uncle ben is we know who that like so when they brought tom holland in i'm like good you skipped it yeah and when when they did um batman begins the whole premise was there so i get that but when they did batman v superman i was like okay that is a beautifully shot opener Mm -hmm. and that movie has many, 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 many problems. But that scene with the Waynes <laughs> is shot beautifully. Yeah. Great. It's awesome. We don't need it in the movie. We right. don't need it in the movie. You are right. eating real estate with this needless thing that everyone knows. Yeah. Open up with the reign of the Superman. Like opening the movie with just that where he's running in downtown. The rest of that movie, as terrible as it is, that that scene with Bruce running downtown, that whole attack at the end of Man of Steel. Like, mm-hmm. I hate Man of Steel. I hate that movie. There's nothing sure. about that movie I like at all, except for the soundtrack. That's it. Okay. And maybe Amy Adams because she's, you know, adorable. It's, it's Amy like, Adams, yeah. That's Amy Adams. She's great. Um, but I hate that movie. 
But the opener to Batman v Superman makes me go, okay, that opener was so awesome. It legitimizes Man of Steel's existence. It doesn't mean I'm going to go like it and I'm not going to, and then I'm going to enjoy it and go watch it again. But it acknowledges the fact that it existed Mm -hmm. and this scene in this movie exists because of that. And I'm willing to give it that concede on that point. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't completely hate Man of Steel, but yeah, that movie is very problematic. Um, Yeah. I, I will say that those early DC movies are very good at, at shooting action scenes. Um, yes. uh, some I, of the storytelling is not to my taste is how I'll, how I'll phrase that. <laughs> oh yeah. It's definitely not. I mean, but the, the way they shoot the but, action scenes, you're, you're in, you're emotionally invested as opposed to just a roller coaster ride investment. Yeah. And that's the difference. I think, I think that's what DC EU generally with Snyder, Snyder, let me put this Snyder generally can invest you emotionally in an action sequence a little bit better than the MCU can in some okay. cases. Because at the end of the day, MCU, no one's going to die. Or if they die, they're going to come back the next movie. Because yeah, you know their contracts. Yeah. DCEU, yeah. like everything's an experiment. You don't know what's going on. This whole thing could collapse and they could just kill this dude and you don't know what happens. It's true. You know? It's true. Yeah. Like, I mean, just at the very base, right? Is the Joker movie, is that a prequel to Jared Leto's Joker and Suicide Squad? Or are they unrelated? Oh, it's gonna, I, I think from what they said, it's going to be like its first Elseworlds. Okay, but here's the thing. Like there's it's just going to be its own first thing. But there's studio executives saying that in press releases. It's not ever stated anywhere in the work, right? So yeah. as an audience member, if you're not telling me stuff, like, like, okay, when you're rebooting Spider-Man, like, yeah, there's a whole different actor playing Spider-Man. That's pretty obvious. But when you're like, hey, we just did a Suicide Squad movie, you know, a couple years ago, and now we're doing this Joker movie, and now we're going to do another Suicide Squad movie that may or may not be related, and also there's a Harley Quinn movie in there, kind of, like, how related are any of these to each other? I have no idea. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Which, you know, it's fine, because at the end of the day, they're movies, and if you can tie them together, great, and if you can't, whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I just want it to be like, if you're going to connect it, and you're going to mention it to other movies whatever's happening with that character that's in that universe needs to stay consistent. Yeah. So like if you, if you bring Zachary Levi's Shazam into a justice league movie by Snyder, I want him to be the fun bumbling kid that Billy is. Mm-hmm. I don't want him to show up and be this murder hound. Like sure. that's yeah. all I'm asking for. Yeah. Unless, yeah. unless he comes in as some murder hound and then you give us a flashback scene that explains why he became the way he became. Right. Right. right? Which Snyder wouldn't. Well, because he's, a great director, but he's a bad writer. <laughs> yeah. Well, and he didn't necessarily write all the movies he directed either. A, a lot of those are written by David Goyer. So, you know, like, let's, let's well, put, yeah, that's let's put that's the blame true. where it goes. <laughs> we'll put the blame exactly where it goes. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that, that got way off track. Um, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> Moral of the story, you don't need to sit us down and explain to us who every single character is. You can just tell a story and we'll figure out who everyone is. You, as the writer, you should know who the characters are. But yes, like you don't need to give us the official handbook of the Marvel Universe for the first 20 pages of your story. No, and that and that's uh, I, that's why I like the handbooks too because you can kind yeah. of throw some stuff in the. I, I actually did a Doctor Oblivion handbook with all these characters that I that's created right, from fourth grade up until like. Yeah, and it was like it was uh, eighty different profiles of heroes and villains of stuff I've created in my entire life up to that point. And there's some that I just wanted in there because hey, I made that character up when I was in sixth grade, and I just want him to see the light of day. And I'm never ever going to get around to giving him a series like I wanted to when I was twelve. Mm-hmm. But I can tell his story in these three paragraphs I've got, and that will sate my creativity with that character. 
And then there's some where it's like, no, no, Dr. Bolivian's eventually going to end. I know it's ending. I know how it's going to end and when it's going to end. And I need somebody else to pick the torch up in this universe because I don't, I don't want to end the universe, but I'm going to end his story. So who's going to pick up the torch? Mm-hmm. And one of those characters is in the book. And I lay out some groundwork on there because it's like, hey, I want you to be familiar with this character when Dr. Bolivian goes away, when this character comes up and now is the forefront of that superhero universe that I've created. Oh, that's pretty clever. Cool. That was the easiest way to do it without like, you know, just like, oh, here's this brand new character. I, I don't like it when you inorganically introduce a character to pick up the torch from another character. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think it serves the character any justice. I don't think it helps the story feel like a good flow. Um, unfortunately, one of the characters that suffered from that was Riri Williams. When she got introduced as okay. the new Iron Man, Yeah, it wasn't like... Bendis Bendis introduced her, I think, on issue nine or ten of that series of that volume of Iron Man. Mm-hmm. And I I love Riri now. Like, but when she was introduced, I was like, this is wait, you're just gonna tell me that this kid's Iron Man in three issues and we're done? Like, just Tony doesn't even meet her. Like she's just Iron Man. Like that doesn't and so <laughs> like I when 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 that series ended, I'm like, I am I'm out. I'm not gonna do this because I, I I'm not gonna do this. And then a samurai comics had a dollar sale or something. And I was like, uh, okay, Sarah Pacelli is doing the artwork. I, I want to see that. I'll, I'll pick up the 11 issue. I'll spend 11 bucks to get the series. So I did. And I'm like, wow, this character is great. Like this character is great. This is a mm-hmm. wonderful character. Mm-hmm. I like the premise on it. It's just her introduction didn't serve the story. It wasn't organic. She should have been introduced in the first issue of Bendis's Iron Man run and had okay. like a little mini adventure with Tony or something, or stumbled upon code in the suit that is something to introduce her to where Tony kind of like would handhold a little bit. So there's some organic flow. And that's what I wanted to do with Dr. Bolivian's universe. Cause when he does go away, I don't want to be like, Oh, he's done. And now another superhero. And it's like, no, I need Dr. Bolivian's got some emotional base to his character. That's mm-hmm. the point. Like he's not just some rando characters. Like watch this dude punch another dude. And they're both wearing tights. Wow. Like I didn't want that. I, I want like some emotional investment into the character where if somebody loses a, a limb, I don't want it to be like, oh, that was dramatic. And that, like, no, that person lost a limb. They are now disabled. Mm-hmm. Like, how is that going to affect that character and the people mm-hmm. around them? Like, I, I, I want that to be the point of the story as opposed to just be like, well, that book sold some money and now let's go to this one. And that book's going to sell some money. Like, that's that's not the point of that <laughs> yeah yeah and if you want those books uh hey image put out a ton of those in the early 90s and they're all lining uh quarter bins now so i'm just saying like <laughs> <laughs> and listen i love i love some of those image those early image books like uh, the the art in them is fantastic but like even all of them will be the first ones to tell you like yeah they're artists not writers so you know um, yeah and yeah. and they're and it's it's a different mechanic between those two absolutely We're, like so so people like you and me are like, okay, cool. We grew up reading this stuff and we're going to take the parts that we like and we're going to turn that into our stories. And we're going to take the parts we didn't like and just kind of throw them away. Right. And so, you know, we uh, both grew up reading X-Men, right? And right, right. Y- you read all of, Cl- like more of Claremont stuff while it was coming out. I came in a little later during Fabian Nicieza's run, but Nicieza was trying to do Claremont. So, well, and- like, so yeah, I came in with the the emotional... Like, yeah, how how will this thing affect the characters? How will this change their lives? Rather than just like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we drew this? Right, right. And see, and I, I came in at the butt end of Claremont. Okay. Um, like, I, I, was, I was reading, like, when I started getting X-Men Monthly, it was Claremont's last arc before Mirror Isle. 
it was the it oh, was like okay. two two seventy seven was really my first where I started my collection at, and so it was that scroll Shiar thing that was going on. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. but yeah, it was like Nisi. There was an era there where Labdell and Nisieza were, and it was a very small era where they're like, let's be Claremont. And yeah. then they were like, that's not working. Let's be us. And then it just, it changed in a, for a positive way. Um, for, for a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if Onslaught was a good change necessarily, but. Uh, uh, wasn't that a, uh editorial mandate though? Uh, uh, yeah. Well, see, this is the thing about. Because I thought they were trying to do that for the, the Heroes Reborn thing. Well. So they they ended up they they were two separate ideas that ended up getting fused together because it was oh. uh, Marvel do their annual big events and you know they had done an X Men event every year since was it Fall of the Mutants uh, yeah. or or Mutant Massacre or, or something so they you know they did one of those and then Inferno and then the other one and then yeah eventually you got to the, the Mirai Saga and then like the big relaunch and then Executioner song oh Extinction Agenda was in there somewhere. Like so, there there were just all of these big events, and so by the time we got to it's Age of Apocalypse was ninety four, ninety five, uh, Phalanx Covenant 95, was ninety four, yeah. So it was Executioner Song, Phalanx, uh, Fatal Attractions, Phalanx Covenant, Age of Apocalypse, and then like the next year was Onslaught, and they were like, "Cool, let's do some big cosmic powered thing that like the Dark Phoenix. They haven't fought anything that big since the Dark Phoenix, really." Uh, mm. And then at the same time that they were planning Onslaught, the Marvel Heroes guide, which had the Avengers and Fantastic Four characters were like, hey, these books aren't selling. We need to do something to shake them up. And so they called the guys who left Marvel to start Image to come back and work on their books, <laughs> which is a weird right, choice, right. but it worked. Man. And as a result, you know, Jim Lee has the highest selling issues of Fantastic Four. And uh, what was the other one he did? Was he, he was on Fantastic oh, Four he did, and uh, Iron Man. And then Liefeld did Avengers. Yeah, and Captain well, America. Ross Partacio. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, um, the highest selling issues of Captain America and Avengers have Rob Liefeld's name on them, which is... <laughs> That's rough. <laughs> I, 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 I use the uh, Rob Liefeld Captain America chest as a do not do this lesson in my uh my art classes that i teach and you know what so does he because even liefeld is like no this thing sucks this was uh oh does he yeah he he has said multiple okay, times good, like this, good. this was a thing that it was a we needed a, a piece of promotional art in like a couple of hours and so like i just drew something real quick threw it together and you know unfortunately that's the piece that ended up going out to all of the advertising and and posters and everything so uh, okay that makes me feel a little bit better yeah i'll give him some i'll give him slack on that because you know you and i have both drawn things that are not great when it's up against a a tight deadline oh yeah so you know um as as (laughs) as good as all of us want to be we can't all be perfect artists every single image oh yeah no you you you've got to figure if you're if you're drawing a page, you're gonna have at least one face in one hand that's gonna be messed up per page. It's, like if you're not giving yeah. yourself that kind of allowance, then you're just gonna drive yourself to just burn out after four or five years in the industry. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Comics are hard. <laughs> it's it's yeah. man, you know, um, it you don't you don't do comics unless you love comics, you know. And uh, I, I there's a there's a joke uh, that. Uh, a buddy of mine made a couple years ago is I don't make co- money. I make comics. <laughs> and uh, I, I tell, I shared that with my student. Where it's like, Hey, like 
if you're going to do this, you, you need to know what's up. It's yeah. going to take a decade before you can turn this into anything to where you can like, you know, live off of it. Uh, unless you're very, very talented or very, very lucky. Yeah. And even then a decade, like that's, that's optimistic for a lot of people. So, well, I got to yeah. give them hope. They're young kids that don't <laughs> want to squash them five death seconds out the barn. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. And I guess you don't want people dropping class the second day. So, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. No, but th- I mean, that's that's absolutely true. You know, as big as Brian Michael Bendis has been in the 21st century, everyone kind of forgets that that dude worked all throughout the 90s. You know, oh, he, yeah. was, he was a 10 year overnight sensation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Which... I, I always I always find it funny when people give him crap because it's like. I, I and and don't get me wrong. I've been guilty of giving him crap too. Sure, but but like you can tell when he's doing a book that he cares about, and you can tell when he's doing a book that he needs to pay for his kids' school tuition. Yeah, and people people point that out, and I go, yeah, but you know what? His kids in school. So right. like, if I'm up against the wall and I'm going, this is the project I care about. This is what I want to do, and I need my kid to have a good education. Yeah, I'm going to do both. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm going to do both. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hopefully the one that's paying for my kid's school will be good enough to keep me hired. But I'm also, you know, you can't give a hundred percent to every single thing. If you're p- packing on 20 books, it's just not, it's not feasible, right. you know, but at the same time, if you're working in comics and you have the opportunity to make some money to make your family's life better, like take it. Yeah, you know? because it's it's all. I mean, it's it's really all independent contract stuff or self publishing. You never know when your next paycheck is yeah. coming. So yeah, like it for any of us, it could all go away tomorrow. You know, well, all for of, some people at DC this year, it did. I mean, they yeah. had a ton of layoffs on the editorial side, and there sounds like they're going to do it again too. Yeah, yeah. So. so I thought we got all the bad stuff out of the way up front. Um, <laughs> well, no, but, but it's it's not necessarily it's, bad. It's just, no, it's, it's, just it's, it's what the industry is. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. It's now the plus it's, side of that is you get to do what you want if you're doing self-published stuff. It's true because you and I went to a company with Dr. Oblivion, Hawk and Croc, and it was an image. And it was a company that like IDW where they offer you X amount percentage in ownership as opposed to being self-owned or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, we want to buy you out and they go do whatever they want. Like, let's say they buy Hawk and Croc from you and they completely change the premise, but Hey, you're getting a 1% dividend on the back end of a Netflix show, but your characters are completely different from what they want. And then people get a lukewarm reception to the Netflix show. Well, now your comic book series is tainted forever because they're going to think of the show and the show is meh, but your, but your comic's awesome. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny you say that uh, specifically in using IDW as an example, because there was that like weird stretch of time where IDW was putting out amazing Transformers comics, amazing Ninja Turtles comics, uh, and then an amazing Gem and the Holograms comics. And then all the live action movies of those were terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) and that's and Oh, and and, and G.I. Joe as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, it, it all gets kind of tainted too, because it's mm-hmm. like, well, now there's a corporate mandate. Because now, you know, let's say Hasbro wants it to look like the movies. Well, we don't want it to look like the movies. The comics were doing awesome. Right. But Transformers was doing awesome enough to where they could get away with it. But the GI Joe show or the GI Joe comic, they wanted it to be more like the movie. Well, guess what? That tanks. And then the GI Joe series ended. Yeah. yeah. You know, and uh, yeah. If, oh, man. if you do that with. And that, yeah. that the gem in the holograms comic, man, like it, it came out right at the same time as the movie. 
and it oh, was yeah. amazing it was amazing there was no reason yeah. that a gem comic should have been as good as it was no. and you know sophie turner on art quick edit from andy here uh sophie turner is the actress who played gene gray in the dark phoenix movie and from game of thrones and stuff uh sophie campbell who's now drawing ninja turtles for that dw was the artist on the gem comic my apologize just wanted to give the correct credit where it was due and and uh, uh kelly thompson who's now writing a bunch of stuff for marvel like she's writing a bunch of x-men books and stuff yeah. um, and and captain marvel like like that's they were the ones doing gem and holograms and and then that movie came out and was just crap yeah. And I couldn't sell people in a gem comic. because like, oh, but wasn't that movie term? I'm like, yeah, this isn't the movie. The movie's bad. The comics are good. And people are like, yeah, I can't. I can't bother with it. And it was yeah, like, and, this is. And it's this- already an uphill battle working on working on property comics anyways, because right. you have to get all that stuff cleared by the, by the IP holders. Like, right. And you're yeah. also not getting paid a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because a lot of that money is paying for the license. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to love comics. You got to love it. Like you have to, you have to love comics to work in comics. And, and that's, I mean, you know, the the show is called other strangeness because I want to, I want to talk about some other strange things. Right. And people, people don't talk about that. You know, you know, um, I mean, like when you're really into comics, like you hear the stories about Jack Kirby saying stuff like comics will break your heart kid and everything. But like the people who do it, do it because they love it. Not because, they're trying to make money uh, at yeah. least at least in <laughs> at this point in the 21st century yeah um, now know. i will say it does feel like sometimes there's some image books that are out there because they're trying to pitch to show but also again it comes down to the fact where it's like most of those people have been in the industry for a decade right. and are now going i can use my name for my clout for my project that i wanted to pitch as a, in hollywood mm-hmm. And maybe now in my mid forties, I can pitch that idea, get it on a TV screen and have some comfort in my life for the first time. So again, that's another one of those things where it's like, I do complain about that. Like making a comic for the sole purpose to try to flip it into a TV show. Sure. um, That it feels like it hurts the industry as an art form. Yeah. But on the flip side of that, it's like, Hey, if you're able to make money off of making comic books, you should do it. So I'm really torn on that kind of stuff because it, I'm, I'm very quick to anger and judgment on like, we're making this comic. And now all of a sudden it's a Netflix show. And the first issue just got solicited. Like that's, that's bull. But yeah. at the same time, it's like, yeah, but you know, it's kind of not because that's probably paying for someone's house. It's true. Well, and, and I, uh, I can say I've talked to people who they went to pitch a concept and were told like, Hey, make this as a graphic novel. And like we'll talk then yeah right so like you've got hollywood now saying yeah turn this into a comic so that we can see what this thing is going to look like what it's going to be like you know and it's like well i mean when you have the people who are you know maybe they will or will not buy your show saying hey go ahead and do it this way like what are you gonna do not try and make your thing into a show like yeah exactly and that's the part where i don't get mad at it where it's kind of like yeah, if they're telling you that, yeah, you just need a show. Because on the on the other side of that, too, one, they're going to need executive producers and non-artist people who work in Hollywood mm-hmm. to be able to see visually what this show could look like in an almost finished format. And then, two, if you have sales numbers to back that, you're only helping your battle. So, right. like, yeah. I get it. But at the same time, I'm like, but the first purpose of this should be you telling your story in an art form. And, yeah. and that's, that's the whole point of comics i i think uh i mean obviously it wasn't in the beginning it was you know 
for people to not get taken to jail for making inappropriate, you know, dime novels that were, you know, (laughs) salacious and all that kind of stuff. But like, ultimately, like, I think we've been able to evolve comics into an art form where it's, it's art and it's, yeah. Uh, it's it's there was a, yeah. a a show Aaron Sorkin wrote called Studio Sixty, and in the opener the the guy goes on a news work a network style tirade, and he he makes the line is you're you're caught in a battle between art and commerce, and let me tell you art is getting its ass kicked, and that's mm-hmm. it, it feels like that's where we're at right now with comics mm-hmm. because shops are dwindling. Because of, well, not only just COVID, but just in general, uh, people want a binge mentality. They don't want to go into the shop every single week. They want to go get a graphic novel every quarter, you know, and and that's, that's a hard thing to ask the artists of. Um, And so you have all these things working against the art form of it. And so it's, it's, it kind of sucks because you do have to play the game. You can't not. Yeah. And yeah. And the, the way the industry has been set up for the last, I mean, basically a hundred years has been, Hey, you're going to draw this, this, you know, 20 to 30 page funny book, and we're going to pay you for these pages. And then people are going to come back and get more the next month. And the, I mean, especially since, since the turn of the century, right. It's been like, Hey, everything gets collected into the, the trade paperback graphic novel format, whatever, whatever we're calling it this week. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, people can go in and like, Oh, cool. I can get the last, you know, five or six issues in one chunk, or I can come back in a year and get the big 12 issue hardcover. Right. Which looks great on a bookshelf and everything, but like, great. You know, guess what? While you were waiting for that to come out, your artist was, you know, surviving on ramen. Like, <laughs> right. So yeah. yeah. And see, and it's, Yeah. Yeah, there's got to be a Sorry. middle ground somewhere. Um, the industry, like, I honestly think the industry needs to start doing advances, like like traditional novel publishing. You know, I, I think some of the mm. bigger companies need to start being like, hey, you have until you know we're going to give you half the money up front if you create the thing by this deadline. Then you know we'll pay you the rest of the money, and if not, you have to give us the money back or something. I mean, you know, there's got to be there's got to be some way to to make it so people can do a hundred page book a couple times a year rather than, you know, or, or hundred page book once a year, you know, like there needs to be a big shift in the industry and variant covers is not it. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, and honestly, that would be, that would be phenomenal if that's the case because you, and, and like, so uh, my best friend lives in Los Angeles Mm -hmm. and um, they just got their house, but they've been living in an apartment uh, and, and so it's a Los Angeles sized apartment. It was a tiny, tiny apartment. So like when I go visit them, I'm on the couch in the living room because yeah. there is no spare bedroom because everything there is tiny. Right. And, and so like there, his concern is, as a comic book reader was like, I don't have any room for anything. So everything I get is digital. Yeah. And so that's another thing that like people are starting to have to keep an eye on is like, where are people storing these things? You and I have collected floppies since we were kids, yeah. but I, now I have 92 short boxes and I have six bookshelves full of graphic novels. Yeah. So for me, I'm kind of starting to go like, you know, there's a lot of these books where if I could just get them as a DRM free PDF, I would just get rid of them because I just want the art and I just want the story. Yep. And then yep. there's going to be stuff where I'm never getting rid of it because I've had that since I was a kid or it's the first appearance of a character I care about kind of a thing. Sure. Right. But like, there's a whole slew of stuff where if it was just like, you know what? I don't want to haul this around to my next house. I just don't want to do it. 
Mm-hmm. And it says no, no judgment on the story, no judgment on the creation or the artwork or anything no, that went into it's it. It's just there's only so much space to hold to to store your things. Yeah, and so yeah. it's it's frustrating because it's like, yeah, I, there needs to be some sort of adaptability or change or something like that to help those artists pay for stuff. Because, like, if DC uh, Comicsology has indie people, uh, if you go to Comicsology, you can you can set up your book as a DRM free PDF to download, and then you have the backup, right? So I think like I think I have my Scud and my Stranger in Paradise on that, where it's backed up and it's fine. I'm never getting rid of my Scud and Stranger in Paradise issues because those are what made me want to start making indie books. Yeah. Uh, but like, let's say it was Planetary. Like if DC went, here's your Planetary books, which is one of my favorite series. Here, despite the Warren Ellisness of it yeah um, that's a which was <laughs> that's a whole sad. other discussion that's all yeah. other thing yeah. but like let's say it's a series like that where it's like yes i love that or divine right let's do divine right jim lee sure. divine right okay which is another one of my favorite series so let's say they go hey here's all of divine right and here's a pdf with all of the pages and uh, it shows all of the different variant covers and everything uh but it's a drm pdf and it is 30 bucks and it's 30 bucks because ultimately the mentality would be Hey, if you're getting this DRM free PDF, you're never going to need to buy this in any format ever again. Yeah. And you just call it like a legacy file. And that legacy file is you're being charged that much because there is a mentality of this is it. This is the last time you're ever going to be able to give us money for this series ever. Hmm. I'm fine with that because if you have set it up to where that 30 bucks, you know, DC takes 15, let's just say DC takes 15 of it. And then the other 15 gets split amongst the creative team. I'm okay with that because I'm now giving them money, you know, and, and just that would be a format that I think could work and would also benefit like collectors who are like, I, I can't have all of the Alan Moore wildcats or I can't even find all the Alan Moore wildcats, (laughs) but look, there's the Alan Moore wildcat pack legacy pack for 35 bucks done. Yeah. Yeah. And I never have to, and I can, yeah. And I, and I understand, you know, the big corporate parent companies of, of Marvel and DC being, you know, Disney and Warner Brothers and, or AT&T now just being like, you know, we don't we don't give out DRM free stuff. Like if you're going to do it, you're going to. But it's like, cool, then I'm just going to buy less stuff from you because I want to be able to put those on any device that I want and not have to be connected to the Internet to read it. Yeah, it has nothing to do with me trying to pirate anything. Right. I want to be able to look at it on my iPad, which is an Apple. I want to look at it on my my phone, which is an Android. Mm-hmm. Or I want to be able to look at it on my kid's tablet, which is Android. I don't know, regardless. Yeah. But I want to be able to look, take it wherever I am going. I'm not going right. to go give people this file. If I pay 35 bucks for a file, I'm just going to go give it willy-nilly. Yeah. Like, yeah. There's like, more, And there's more people that think that way out there than what they're assuming. Right. And, and yes. if they hold it back, they're just going to encourage the pirates. Well, if you're not going to give it free, we'll just take scans in and we'll throw it up on our pirate site. Yeah. And then I'm going to go download it from the pirate site. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm not, but like, hey, if you're not going to give it to me in the format I want legally, I, people are going to take it. You yeah. Know? yeah. And so, listen, I own, I own all of Strangers in Paradise and Trade Paperback, and then I rebought them all digitally so I could have them wherever I went. Right. You know, and Strangers in Paradise is, is straight up my favorite comic of all time as of right now. That may change in the future. I don't know. But it's been my favorite comic of all time for several years. So like, but like, yeah, I was absolutely willing yeah. to buy it all again. You get the DRM free backups from Comixology, right? I know Terry Moore is getting paid for that. I, I know, you know, that that's that guy is just it's just him. It's him and his wife. And that's what they do is, is he makes the yeah. comics and she sells them. So like, yeah, let's 
I'm cool. I was cool with rebuying the entire series to get it in the digital format so that I don't have to worry about it again. And like, I'm supporting the guy that I like. So yeah, yeah like, I, I don't know, man, it's it. The corporate side is such a, I don't agree with all the decisions they make. <laughs> well, and it, it's, it's honestly, and, and I've had this discussion with We've fans both worked and in my wife. Now, for I, I will be honest time. with you. Yeah. Since I was 17, you know, yeah. and, and I've had people ask me like, Hey, why don't you go try out for image? Why don't you go to IW? Why don't you do Marvel? First of all, they're not going to accept me. They're just not, I, I know my level of quality and my output and I am not, a, I feel that there's a lot of stuff that I would need to work on to get to a quote unquote professional level of stuff. Mm-hmm. However, I don't try to submit things because honestly, for me, it would be kind of a waste of time for me because I've got so many books and so many stories that I want to tell out of my head. I don't want to take a year off to go do somebody else's book. Yeah. Uh, now, obviously, there are, you know, blindside parts. If Marvel came to me and went, hey, we want you to do a power pack miniseries or a Firestar miniseries or a cloak and dagger or a war machine miniseries. I drop everything I was doing and go do that. Sure. But, yeah. but there are so few characters on DC and Marvel side where I would just drop it and go that mm-hmm. like, why am I going to go try? Because the characters that I want to do are like third and fourth tier characters that people don't really seem to have a huge following for, I mean, war machine obviously has changed since he's been in the movies, but um, like who's going to go read a Firestar comic from me. I mean, aside like, from my fan base and which yeah. I mean, I love my fan base and they would, <laughs> they would, I think they would enjoy that. But like from Marvel's perspective, they're probably looking at us, me and my fan base and going like, yeah, but what does that mean to us money wise? Right. right. And like, I don't want it. I don't want my fan base to be, boiled down to that i don't want to be as a creator boiled down to that and honestly i'll just create a character that's like firestar and do it that way anyways i mean i would i would read a firestar comic from you but also i would read a firestar comic from anyone right now because right i, I like firestar and she hasn't had her own awesome. series ever so i mean the, yeah. that original four issue miniseries but otherwise she's just sort of floated around no pun intended uh yeah you know like new warriors and stuff and it's like well okay uh I guess whenever she shows up again, I'll I'll try and find that and maybe I'll buy it if it's not, you know, Marvel Divas. Although that book ended up being a lot better than the title and covers led you to believe. So Yeah, I, I the the title and cover really didn't do itself any favors for no. me. I was like, Oh, Firestar's in it, but uh no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But like even with the other companies, like going to image and something like I I right now I can't produce a book on a monthly basis. Right. That's um, really hard. That is so it, it, hard to do. Yeah. Cause you, if you're okay. So if you're doing your book by yourself, if for this is for people who don't, don't make books, yeah. if you're making a book for yourself, you have to script your book first. That means you've got to, it, let's say you're starting from scratch. You've got to come up with your characters, their characterizations, their relationships with each other. Then you got to come up with the plot to put them through. And then you have to make sure those characterizations and those characters work within the plot. Because if you have a character do something that is not within their character to service the plot, everything's going to suck. Then you've got to get the dialogue down, which is a completely different skill set than plotting because I'm much better at dialogue than I am at plotting. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you got to get the dialogue down 
And you have to make the characterization and the dialogue work with each other to where they both have your voice as a writer, but their voices as characters, which is not easy. Mm -mm, And mm -hmm. then you have to turn all of that into a functional script for an artist. Now, here's the thing. If you're not your own artist, you have to set it up in a screenplay style format, which is going to break down into pages and panels. So let's say that you are the artist and you've done all that for your script. Now you're the penciler and you have to interpret that script into thumbnails that are going to fit enough to where it's going to either show off your action or your drama and your tension, leave enough room for your dialogue, have enough detail to make people want to look at your artwork, but not enough detail to kill yourself trying to produce 20 to 32 pages every three weeks. Mm -hmm. And I say every three weeks because once you've got that penciled, you have to, as you're penciling them, shuffle them onto the inker. Now, if you're not the inker, this is not your problem. If you are the inker and the penciler and the the writer, Mm -hmm. now you have to ink your pages, which means the pages you've already written, which your script is done because Mm -hmm. it's done in your head, the pages you have penciled, which you have done because they're done in your head. When you get to inking, you're like, I've already done this. I'm done. Yeah, I'm done with this. This is how I am. I'm done with this book. I don't want to ink this because I've done this already. This is the third time I'm doing this book, yeah. the same page. Yeah. So then you got to ink it. So you got to ink all those pages. Then if you're, you can shuffle it off to the colorist. If you don't have a colorist and you're the colorist, now you've got to color the pages, which means it's now the fourth time you're going through this page. Mm-hmm. And so once that's done, then you got to have it off the letter. If you don't have a letter and you're the letter, now you're actually popping all the dialogue out. And that's the second time you're dealing with dialogue, mm-hmm. which isn't as stressful. And then you, once you're done with letter, you got to shuffle it off to the person who handles it for digital file prep, which if you don't have that person, you're now the person setting up all of those files for pre-flight and pre-press checks mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. when it gets to the printer, which you will not be, when it gets to the printer, they will be able to interpret your pages in the, in the, the sequence that they're supposed to go into. Because if you screw those files up and they get to the printer... The printer is not reading your book. They don't care about your book. And it's nothing personal, but your job, 187 out of 3,000 that week, they don't have time to care about your book. They care about that book being printed nicely. They don't care about the book looking or reading nicely. So you have to make sure those files are prepped, ready to go, and just they don't, they can be plugged into a computer and sent off to press because the printer's only going to worry about a couple things. One, they're going to make sure that the colors are hit right. They're going to be make sure that it, they hit their deadline for when they tell you that the books are going to be done. And three, they need to make sure their bindery, their quality control presses, and that their cutting is all done perfectly to where you have a sellable product. That's what the printer worries about. Mm-hmm. So once that's done, you got to pay them. Yeah, you got to pay the comic book printer ahead of time before mm-hmm. you get your books, before you make your profit on them. So that's another thing you got to worry about. Oh, and that's the other thing. If you have... Any of these people along those lines between the writer and the printer, you're paying all those people individually if they're not you. So you've got to shell out all of that money as well. So you get the books and now you have your books. Now you have to market it, which means you got to go on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, shouting at the edge of the street like a crazy person and tell people this is what my book is, which means you have to have a sales pitch ready. You have to have an elevator pitch ready, which is a three-second line of dialogue that tells you what the book is. So Dr. Oblivion, Dr. Oblivion is about a supervillain whose teenage daughter starts dating the town's teen superhero. That's it. That's yep. my elevator pitch. Yep. Which means you have to have your entire premise, your entire book. If you're making a Lord of the Rings style, Matrix style epic, you have to boil it down in one sense. 
Mm-hmm. Because no one's going to give you more than five seconds to listen to your pitch. It's not because they don't care. It's because people get at a con, get bombarded. People online get bombarded. They can only give you five seconds because they only have five seconds. So you have to have that prep for you as well. Um, then once you get marketing, then you've got to figure out how am I going to sell this? Am I going to sell this on my website, which means you'd have to build a whole website? Am I going to sell this on live sales on Facebook, which is a lot easier, but you're not going to get as many people watching because you haven't created a fan base. Um, you go around to comic book shops, see if they're going to sell it. And I'm going to tell you right now, comic book shops, not all of them will carry indie books. If you have a comic shop who carries an indie book, love on them like no one's business. Yeah. Because not only will they not, not every shop carry you, but sometimes the shops that carry you don't sell your book. Yes, they might have an indie section, but no one in that store may care about that book. Right. Um, I have a couple shops here in Phoenix that sell my book because they support me and they like me and the staff supports me and likes me. And I have a couple shops in San Diego and Los Angeles who match those numbers in Phoenix. Like nice. I never lived in Los Angeles. I never lived in San Diego, but because the people who run those shops are so supportive, they, they do that. Yeah. And so you have to make connections with those shops. Um, and then if you go to cons, if you're in town, you're going to be good to go because all you need to worry about is paying for your table and your taxes to the city, the state, and the federal government. Great. No problem. I need to get a business license, temporary seller's license, stuff like that, which means you also need an accountant. So there's that. So then um, you've also, if you travel, you have to pay for gas. You have to pay for lodgings. You have to pay for your food on the road, which if you have special needs like me, because I'm diabetic, you means you might have to have some sort of freezer bag or find place someplace that has a refrigerator so that you can buy fresh foods that aren't going to kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Or you do what I do. So you talked about Hochberg. I go to several shows with, with Val yeah. uh, and another artist named Travis Hansen. And so the three of us carpool, we throw all of our stuff into Travis's extended cab F-150 and we'll go to Denver. We'll go to WonderCon. We'll, we'll go wherever. And we split a room and just, it helps. So instead of having a uh, $700, $800 for the week Denver hotel room, I now pay 250 or three or whatever, you know? Sure, but that's and, still 250, 250 or $300 that you have to pay out of your profits from your book. On top of the 300 bucks for your table, on top right. of the uh, roughly 250 for your food and gas for the first, for the gas to get you there and mm-hmm. the food for the first half until you get into profit levels at your show. So there's a lot that goes into making that comic book. Yeah. And like I said, you have to love it because that's a lot of money to output, especially if you're just starting out. Now I don't want to tell anybody this to scare them off. That's not the point. The point is if you are starting to make a comic book and you want to make this comic book and you want to financially make it a feasible thing for you to do, maybe not even as a career, but even just to like pay for itself make smart choices yeah find somebody who's willing to go halfers on the creativity of it so you're both splitting both both the profits and the expenses um split a table with somebody for your first show don't try to buy a 300 table for your first outing if you have one comic book split it with three other people um if you uh, graphic novels sell better than comics so instead of you trying to pop out a comic try to pop out a graphic novel yes it's going to take you another year and that sucks 
but spend the extra year because when you get to that table, instead of you selling a $5 comic book, you're going to be selling a $15 graphic novel or a $20 graphic novel that costs you five or six bucks to print as opposed to a $5 comic, which costs you three to four bucks to print. Right. Your profit margin is going to be higher and you're going to sell more, sell more story and people are going to know you're more serious about it. Um, don't travel the first year. Do small shows, find small events in your area. There's tons of little art shows, tons of little things that are around the area. Superhero Saturday is something uh, that's put on uh, by uh, police officer Mike Swarkart, who does stuff with child help and uh, child care. And they, that's a, just, it's a small event, but man, that's, that's a great place to connect with people. Um, there's, there's all sorts of shop events that you can try to find. Obviously COVID not right now, but sure. find shops. Ask if you can go in and on a Wednesday, hey, I've got a new book. Do you mind if I set up on a Wednesday next to your new wall and try to talk to people about my book? There's things that you can do when you're first starting out to where you're not dumping $1,000 into every show where you're just starting out going like, yeah, I had to spend like 250 to get my stuff printed up. But if you're selling them at like 20 bucks to pop, you only have to sell like two dozen and that print runs paid for and the rest is profit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so- like there's all these little shortcuts that you can take um, to get your book out there. And, and it, it may mean you're doing all of it on your own. It's why I do everything on my own with the exception of digital setup and lettering. My wife handles it mm -hmm. because I one, it's our, our household income. So she, I don't have to pay her. Uh, but, <laughs> but, uh, but two, um, I would very happily pass off inking and coloring duties to somebody else uh, just for sake of time. Sure. One, I don't want to cut into my profits that much. I'm not making enough profit to do that. Maybe in five years, it'll change. But right now, I'm not. Mm -hmm. um, but, but two, I also know I can control every aspect of production. If something's late, it's my own fault. I don't have anybody to get mad at by myself. And that's a nice feeling. Because yeah. there's nothing more frustrating than working with somebody and trying to get something done by a deadline. And they keep pushing it out excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. And that gets frustrating. And that's a whole other level of stress. Yeah. And so, yeah, your book may not look like a Jim Lee book or a Joe Matarera book or even a Rob Liefeld book. But you know what? A produced book that looks decent is a book that's out. And it's not a book that just exists in someone's head that they're working on. They may have something done soon. Like, great. Like, if somebody's working on something awesome, like I'm going to, that's great. Keep working on it. Yeah. But if seven years pass by and you're still working on it, I'm going to tell you something. You're not working on anything. Right. Like you're just not. Right. But if, if you're trying to make your graphic novel, you know, give yourself two years. Like if, if you've started working on a graphic novel, you're, you're looking at about a year to two years to finish that graphic novel, get started. Get started on it now and have it done by the end of two years. Have a deadline and stick to it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So there's a, uh, <laughs> Jeff, you can tell you're a teacher because there you go. There's a free lecture. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, kicked in a teacher mode. <laughs> no, no, that was awesome. Uh, I, I was not expecting that at all, but that, that, there you go. Like they're, they're in that, that five, 10 minutes that Jeff just spent talking. Like that's, that's the bare minimum of what it takes to make a single issue of a comic book. And guess what? Everyone that's in the industry right now has gone through that process. Yeah. There's so, not a single person who hasn't. Right. So like, you know, if you listen, if that, if that process is not for you, then yeah, maybe you need to find something else. And you know what? If you aren't willing to put in 
that consideration to every single comic book that you read and you're just going to, you know, shove it on and be like, oh, this is a fucking lazy comic. Dude, go fuck yourself because everyone is putting everything they have into comics for basically no money. So like, yeah. And comics are straight up my favorite medium and not because of the amount of work that it takes. It's just, I really like the, the unique marriage of words and pictures that comics creates and I can read it at my own pace. Right. So if if I want to read, I can read comics faster than any TV show can or, or movie can tell me those stories, or I can take my time with it. And I can read it a lot slower and spend more time. You know, Avengers Endgame is three hours and five minutes or something. Hey, man, I've read Infinity Gauntlet in 20 minutes and I've read Infinity Gauntlet in four hours, you know, depending on how how much I want to enjoy the comic that day, you know, and no other format lets you do that. You know, a, a, a music album takes however long it takes for you to listen, like for the music to play. A TV show takes 22 or 44 minutes. A movie takes, you know, 90 or 120 or, or 180 minutes or whatever. Comics, you set the pace. And that for, for reading, that's great. And when you're creating it, like, yeah, you set the pace and to a point because everything takes time. And, and like Jeff just alluded to, right. You've got to, you're working with other people at the very least, at least printers. Um, So yeah, yeah. Comics are hard, but yeah, when they're done, I think they're the best form of entertainment we have. So Jeff, you also started a new Instagram channel. (laughs) Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, we got super deep on that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 